Would you take your scriptures? Turn with me to the little book of Jude found just before Revelation. Jude, and we'll be reading the entire book. Would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt afterwards, destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains unto darkness for judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, all these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts. In these things they corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, have run greedily in the era of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feast. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by the winds, late autumn trees without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Roaring waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars from whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men, also saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of their ungodly deeds, which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lust, and they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, Remember the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How they told you that there would be mockers in the last times who would walk according to their own ungodly lust. These are sensual persons who cause division not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some have compassion, making a distinction. But others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling 
and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have gathered here to worship you this morning. We stand before you because we know you are a gracious God. You bless us and make your face to shine upon us. You do this to make your ways known on earth and your salvation among men. Open our hearts to hear your word. You declare that our faith comes from hearing your word and the word is heard through the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Give us ear to hear for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. It's been a few years since I did a sermon on the state of the church. As I look at the state of Christianity and the church, I see it moving faster and faster toward a real failure in its commission to spread the good news to a lost and dying world. This has caused me to want to warn you about the general direction of the world in which we live, especially our nation. For years, the Christian community has been fighting against that abominable practice of abortion and with little effect on its exercise. Sexual sins have grown in unbelievable proportions throughout our society. We have gone from abortion as the worst sin we face to the unbelievable sin of homosexuality and the horrible sin of transgenderism, which has led to the mutilation of many children. It is not just sexual sins that have invaded in numbers that scare good people. Our schools have become places of violence, And many young people have been killed by their peers or others invading their schools. Drug abuse has grown and far too many young people are being hooked into a lifestyle that destroys their hope, dims their chances of any kind of happiness and productivity. Some of these new drugs can kill on the first dose, and it is killing hundreds of thousands of our young people. While all of these things are terrible, They're expanded exponentially through the exploitation and abuse brought to us by the Internet. There are those who want to take our children and use them in a terrible and deplorable manner for self-gratification. We have seen through the courts the actions to make homosexual lifestyles the norm. They are working to legalize such abominable activity. Once this door was opened, we have begun to see the push for polygamy, bestiality, and any other kind of deplorable sexual activity man can think of. Historically, the church has stood against such sins. Why? Why then, over the past seven or eight decades, has it been failing to have any strong impact on such things? Now, I think the reason is simple. The church in the middle of the last century began to allow many into her number who did not hold to the infallibility and inerrancy of the scripture, many did not even believe in a sovereign God or in the divinity of Jesus Christ. The church began to be watered down with many who refused to hear the clear call of the scripture. We continue to see this in many churches that have opened their doors to abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, and even accepting the life's left's claim of everything being racist. All of these things are sin. Therefore, do not let those practicing them claim holiness. 
There is a definition of sin given in the Westminster Confession of Faith. In the Shorter Catechism, you find this question. What is sin? It answers it this way. Sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. That comes from 1 John 3, 4. Whoever commits sins also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. When men begin to think they know more about what is sin than God does, they begin to fall into all kinds of sin, and those sins lead them into deeper and deeper acts of depravity. Many churches today are not preaching the true word of God. They would rather just tickle people's ears with nice stories that make them feel good about themselves than to call them to obedience to God's word. They much prefer to have wonderful musical programs or dramatic performances than to open God's word and consider their own lives in the light of his holiness. Please hear this message. Worship can be a wonderfully uplifting activity. It can have many elements in it that inspire and encourage the believer. It can be a wonderful time of learning and growing. But it will also be a trying time of reflection. According to the regulative principle of worship, which is best summed up in these words from the Westminster Confession of Faith, the acceptable way of worshiping the true God is instituted by himself and so limited by his own revealed will that he may not be worshipped according to the imaginations and devices of men or suggestions of Satan under any visible representation or any other way not prescribed in the Holy Scripture. In other words, you do only in your worship service what God has called you to do and nothing else. You read the Scripture, pray the Scripture, sing the Scripture, and preach the Scripture. When you follow this pattern, you will have times of great joy as you remember the wonderful gifts of grace and mercy. You will also have times of great discomfort as you remember your sins. To properly glorify and worship God, you need to have both. Let us begin. We'll be taking the heart of this message from Jude 3 through 7. What I want to do is look at the dangers the church faces as it goes about following this regulative principle of worship. First, what is the purpose of the church? Second, how do you keep that purpose fresh in your mind and heart? Third, what is the results to those who do not work at keeping their worship pure? In order to make sure that we as a church are fighting the good fight, and not getting caught up in some kind of political correctness prescribed by the day, we have to hold to the scripture with all of our strength. Jude, verses 3 and 4. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude was the brother of our Lord, and he writes to this church to encourage them in their faith. 
He says his first love, his first desire is to make sure they continue to hear the wonderful truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he sees the great danger facing these dear people. He knows that there are many out in the world who are not preaching the true gospel, but one of their own making. I join with Jude in warning you of the same thing. Time has not made this danger go away. It may have made it even more dangerous than it was in Jude's day. Like Jude, it's my desire that you hear the wonderful and amazing promises of Jesus Christ. He came into this world to do for you, his people, everything needed to save your soul and bring you into heaven with he and the Father. Jesus was very clear in his presentation of this message. In John 14, 6, he makes it clear, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus came. He prepared the way by his perfect life and his atoning death on Calvary's cross. He was the truth in that he was the very word of God. His coming into this world was to make known to all who would hear and believe the wonderful offer of grace given by God through him. He was the life, the true life of God, come into the world in flesh. He made that life available to his people through his life, death, and resurrection, opening heaven's gate to all believers. This is what Jude wanted his readers to know. It is what I desire to tell you. The reason we want so badly for you to hear these words is that they and they alone can bring salvation to your soul. These are the truths you must take into your heart and hold there with all of your strength. The reason you must hold so strongly to these truths is the reason for Jude's letter. There are many, even within the church, who do not hold to these truths. They want to mislead as many as they possibly can. You must be on your guard against them. Jude makes it clear. The best way to stand up against such ungodly characters is to stand fast for the real and the true gospel. This wonderful message of hope has been given to all true believers and it can be found in the scriptures. Everyone who claims to believe in this gospel message needs to be prepared to stand up and declare what it is they have faith in. This is the application he brings. You, you must be willing to live your life in such a way as to show that you hold hope in something far greater than yourself. You must live to show that hope and be willing and ready to declare that hope to all who would ask. This is the heart of the Christian life. This is the way you answer the commission you were given when you became a believer. Jesus gave that same commission to his disciples in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. Amen. Why? Why does Jude say it's so important to remember this gospel and the commission you were given? Because there are men who have come in among you to try and distract you. These are men who were prophesied about in time past. Jude takes this prophecy from one of the apocryphal books called First Enoch. 
while we understand this was not a part of the canon of Scripture, it does show that believers knew and understood about the deceitfulness of men and that it would, come, would in time come into the church. Peter also gives a similar warning. He says in 2 Peter 2, 1, But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Paul also speaks of this kind of deception. He does so in Acts 20, 29, as he tells the elders of Ephesus goodbye. I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. These are men who have no love for Jesus. They have absolutely no love for the gospel. Men who want nothing more than the power over others that knowledge can bring them. They are men who are greedy and blasphemous. You only need to read the headlines of today's newspapers to see that there are men like that leading churches today. Men who are being led around by their own lusts. Jude says of them, they are ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. These are men who come into the church for their own purposes. They come under great divine condemnation because of the evil and wicked reasons. Paul in Titus 1.16 says of them, They profess to know God, but in their works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. Now, now I want you to notice, Jude does not say these men are atheists. They come into the church slyly and openly professing the truths we hold so dear. Otherwise, they'd never get in. But then their personal conduct denies what their words professed. They come believing that God's grace is only a tool to allow them to engage in any kind of sinful activity they can imagine. The only hope the church has to stand against them is a sure and unwavering commitment to hear God's word and follow it without exception. Jude, having sounded the alarm, turns to, his, to history to verify his charge. Verses 5 and 6. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. The angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for judgment of the great day. Jude assumes his readers know the history of Israel. Now, this may stem from the fact this is a Jewish congregation he's writing to. It could also be from the fact he has previously instructed them on the history of the Old Testament. Either way, it's obvious that he expects them to understand his examples. His first example comes to us from Exodus, the Exodus account. God had called Abraham out of Ur and into Judea. He then led Jacob and his sons into Egypt. This was all part of his plan to develop a people for his own purposes. The Jews, once settled in Egypt, became slaves and cried out to God to remember them. He did, and sent Moses to rescue them. This is what Jude asked the people to remember. 
God did a marvelous work through Moses to deliver his people from their bondage in Egypt. The main point he wants them to remember is that even though the whole nation was delivered from Egypt, there were those who did not believe. They didn't believe even after seeing such wonderful and amazing miracles. They refused to accept God as their Lord. They watched for an opportunity to escape from Moses. When he went up on the mountain and was there for so long, they rebelled and made Aaron build him a golden calf. When Moses returned, he called for them to divide into two groups, those who would follow God and obey him and those who would not. God destroyed those who refused him. <clears throat> this was not the only time he purged unbelievers from this group. Still, there were those who wanted to do their own thing and not follow God. You may remember the rebellion of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Those who followed them were destroyed, and then there was a, the fiery serpents that destroyed many who grumbled against Moses. God continually brought judgment against those who refused to hear his message and be obedient to it. Jude wants his readers to understand God will not put up with the folly of men forever. He will come and exact his justice on all who refuse to hear and believe his word on all who willfully seek to circumvent his path. He wants you to understand that there is but one way to avoid such men. He applies it this way. That way is to be vigilant in studying the word and to hold to the truths of that word with all of your heart. It's not wrong to let men teach you. In fact, that was one of the promises given to the New Testament church, that there would be men called to be teachers, pastors, evangelists, and leaders. But it is your duty to take them, to take what they teach and go to God's word and make sure it matches the message Jesus has given. Please do that for me. I don't want to be wrong. If I'm not lining up with God's word, I want to know. That's your responsibility is to check me and make sure. To make sure that it lines up with the call of the gospel to lay aside the old self and to put on the new self a life that is grounded in the moral law laid down in God's word. If you fail in your duty to be diligent and search the scriptures for yourself, you will be in grave danger of being misled by men and falling into the same judgment they come under. Please, please do not allow this to happen to you. Do not allow this to happen in your church. For the life of everyone there is resting on the diligence and faithfulness of everyone else. Jude continues with another example. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains of the darkness for judgment of the great, that great day. He wants you to understand this wasn't a problem just among men. It extended even to the angels in heaven. The angels are God's messengers. Hebrews 1, 7 says, He makes his angels, spirits, and his ministers a flame of fire. It's hard. It's hard for us to believe that one, of the very, one in the very presence of God should rebel against him, but that's exactly what the angels did. They had been given places of great importance. 
In Ephesians 1.21, we hear that Jesus was placed far above all rule and principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. This is, this is stated in order to clearly show that there is no created being above Jesus Christ. Satan does not hold any authority over Jesus, nor does any of his followers. Yet you are clearly warned that Satan will try to deceive you and show himself as an angel of light. If Satan will do such a thing, don't you know those who are mere men that follow him will also try to deceive you in the same way? All, all who come with such deceptive ways will be condemned and destroyed. Jude uses another example from the Old Testament to show how this happens. Verse 7, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner, to those, to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Jude uses a very well-known example of sin and punishment to show how those who engage in such works will face condemnation. Sodom and Gomorrah are examples of the terrible wickedness that men can plunge into when they have no moral compass. These people had come to the point they denied that there was a God. They had been left to their own devices and it took them deeper and deeper into sin. They were overcome with greed and lust. The Apostle Paul speaks of how this happens in Romans 1, verses 18 through 32. This is the same thing that happens in the hearts of those within the church that want to use God's grace as an excuse to follow their own lust. They have no interest in declaring the gospel. What they want to use the pulpit for is to advance their own careers. They want to line their own pockets and fulfill their own lust. We're seeing too much of that in our day, in our nation, and even in our own denomination. Therefore, he applies this, showing you must become an astute judge. You must open your ears and listen with discernment. You must prepare for such work, and you can only do that by careful study of God's word. Listen to Jude's warning. Hear my plea, and do not allow the powers of darkness to deceive you. There's nothing that is more important in the body of Jesus Christ than a solid, unchangeable standard. God says he is immutable, that he does not change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The Apostle John begins his gospel with these words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. In verse 14, he explains, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ was the Word. He is God come in the flesh. He came, according to John 1.18, to reveal to you the Father, to show you his character so you would have an unchangeable standard by which to live your life. The world today wants to destroy that witness. We have churches that want to open their membership to the unsaved. 
They say they want to make their churches friendly to the unregenerate. That is exactly backward to what Scripture teaches. The Scripture is very clear. You are to come to Jesus as you turn from your sins. The worship of the church should and must make the sinner uncomfortable. Paul, in speaking with the Corinthians about worship, explained that personal worship would not condemn the sinner. It had to be corporate worship. 1 Corinthians 14, verses 24 through 25, reading from the NIV. If an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everyone is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now please, this is not to say personal worship is not productive. It is very productive. But it must never be allowed to replace corporate worship, and corporate worship must never become something geared to please the unsaved, but to convict them. Yes, you should invite the unsaved into your worship service. But with the understanding, they will hear a clear and unmuddled call of the gospel. Why does Jude give us this, these examples? Because he knows. He knows what they will mean. They are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. My friends, the great desire of every believer should be to show men that sin destroys. Jude wants you to take these examples to heart and do not allow sin to ruin your life and hope. The grace of God is not given to men to open for them a door into a life of sin without its complications. The grace of God was given to offer to men a way of escape from a life of sin and its punishments. In your witness to others, in your worship, there should, there must always be reminders to yourself and to others that sin is your enemy and it wants your total and absolute destruction. The examples Jude gives are still relevant to us today. So many in our pulpits are failing to stand for the gospel. They are more concerned with building the biggest church they can. They have no concern to build the holiest congregation they can. In conclusion, apply this. If you want to live your life in a manner that pleases your Lord and Savior, you must hold with great tenacity to God's Word. You must not allow anyone to lead you from its truths. Read it and study it. Let it become the standard by which you live your life and worship your God. The need today for such vigilance is great. Much of what is offered as worship is far from what Scripture calls for. Much that is offered as preaching call falls far short of proper biblical exegesis. Many who would claim to be religious are nothing more than superstitious adulpates, trusting in nothing more than their own ideas. True believer. The true believer today needs to be very careful lest he be drawn into this world of superstition, a world of spiritual death and destruction. There's only one way to avoid such a horrible fate, 
And that's through faith and trust in the one sent from God to be the Savior of men's souls. There's only one place to find and know this one who saves. And that is through study of the scripture and setting under the solid preaching of his word. Do not allow the ways of the world to trip you up. Hold fast to God's word. And let us pray that this church shall remain faithful and true to that word regardless of what others do. Place your hope, place your trust in Jesus Christ alone. For there is no other way in salvation. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come this morning because we know you are from everlasting to everlasting. We come because we also know you're the sovereign Lord Almighty. You are the one who is in control of every step we take. You're the one who guides every nation in its path. Our desire this morning is that you will show yourself in the lives and hearts of those you have called to serve this nation. That you will work in the hearts of your ministers across this land. Remember us through the new year and strengthen your name in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen.